Well, congratulations, guys. You made it through the heat wave of 2022. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being here. You know, I've had the honor and privilege of living all over the country, experiencing different kinds of climates and cultures and environments. And so I'm going to give you a quick synopsis of my travels over the last 53 years, okay? So here we go. Each stop is five years. So I was born in New York. Yes, I'm a Yankee, and I'm here with you guys. Praise God. Uh, the next five years was Chicago, Illinois. Next, next five years, Minnesota. Next five years, back to Chicago. Next five years, Indiana. Next five years, Kentucky. The next short stop in Houston, Texas for 25 years. We built a mega church down there. And then I've been in California for three years with you guys for two. Now, the reason I tell you this is go back to Minnesota. So in Minnesota, I was between the ages of 10 and 15. I was a young man. I can't think of a better place. Minnesota has this outdoor vibe. And they're real into fitness and just being outdoorsy. And so in Minnesota for those five years, I was either playing ice hockey outside, skiing or snowmobiling, whatever. And then in the summer, there's so many lakes. You fish, you swim, you canoe. And that's what you do like year round. It's amazing. And in 1978, I was in fourth grade at an elementary school called Snail Lake Elementary. Every school is named after a lake in Minnesota. It's just how it works. That's what they do. So I'm in Snail Lake Elementary School. I'm in fourth grade, okay? Take a moment and just go back to fourth grade if you remember back that far, okay? I'm so grateful for our educators and our teachers because I remember Mr. Richter in my fourth grade class, Snail Lake Elementary School, St. Paul, Minnesota. It was an active class. I think they'd label us something else today, but we were just hyperactive back then. That's what they called us. So Mr. Richter had this filing cabinet in his class, and on top of it sat this red dodgeball. And he knew when we were active, we wouldn't listen, we were hard to teach, and he would walk over to that filing cabinet, and he'd look at the class, and he'd put his hand on it like that. We would get up out of our desk, we would sprint to the gym, and we would play dodgeball for what felt like hours, but it was probably about 15 minutes. And he would bring us back to the classroom. We were sweaty and exhausted. And we'd sit and we would listen and receive the message that he would have for us that day. He was a great, great educator. Next to the red ball on the filing cabinet was a poster. And the poster was of this little cat hanging on a rope. And it said, when you get to the end of your rope, tie a knot and hang on. I remember that so many years ago, 1978. He drilled it into my head, and as I researched that poster for this sermon today, I found out that that's a Franklin Delano Roosevelt quote. It's an FDR quote. When you get to the end of your rope, tie a knot and hang on. Well, the reason I bring this up to you guys today is because today we're going to talk about a story where two people are at the end of their rope. They don't know what to do. They don't know where they're going to go. Their life is literally ending in their minds in that moment. And we're going to unpack that story today and how it impacts you and me each and every day of our lives. Now, normally this is a time when I would ask you to stand up and we'd read the verses together, but I have something different for you today. So if that picture was worth a thousand words, what would a video be worth to you? Maybe a hundred thousand, maybe a million? I found a video of the story today. It's three minutes long, so I want you to get comfortable. You're gonna have to focus for three minutes, okay? In this video, you're going to see a visual representation of the story but you're gonna hear the absolute scripture of Mark 5, 21 through 43, the NIV version, which is exactly what I wanted you guys to hear today. So sit back, take in the video. You're gonna look for a guy in beautiful flowing robes with a neat little hat on. That's Jairus. You're gonna meet a guy named Jairus today. You're gonna to see Jesus. 
You're gonna see some disciples. You're gonna see a massive crowd and some chaos. And you're gonna see a woman sitting on the side of the street. At the very end of the video, everything comes out at the end beautifully. You're gonna love this story. At the end of the video, you're gonna see a 12-year-old girl resurrected. And I want you to see it, to experience it, listen to the scripture, and then we'll unpack it together. Watch this. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please, come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders 
not to let anyone know about this, and told them to give her something to eat. Okay, bow your heads, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for a time and a place where we can come together. Thank you for an opportunity to worship together, to learn together, to read scripture together. Holy Spirit, like a flame, rest upon my tongue. Give me the words you want me to speak. Allow everyone here to have soft hearts and open minds. And God, as we remember 9-11 today, we pray for those families who are affected, who are hurting, who are sad. Encourage them, inspire them. Let them know that we have not forgotten and we lift them up today. Help us to be better listeners, stronger lovers, and better sharers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so now you've seen the video, you've heard the scripture, let's unpack this story together. So if you remember last week, Dale taught an incredible sermon about Jesus in a boat going across the Sea of Galilee over to the, the Gentile side of the Genesaries. And he met Legion over there. And Dale talked about there were walls all over the place. You got to tear the walls down. He, he freed Legion of over a thousand demons, sent them into the pigs. Pigs ran off a cliff. He cleared that whole place out because no Jew would set foot over there. And he talked about tearing down walls in our lives. Well, Jesus finishes his mission there. And ironically, remember this, remember this moment. Legion asked to come with him to be a follower. And Jesus said, no, stay here. Go spread the word. Tell everyone you know what happened. Okay, remember that. So Jesus gets in the boat and he's coming back. And, and as I unpack this message with Dale, Jesus has done miracle after miracle. He's taught in the synagogues. He's healed the sick. He's raised the dead. He's doing all these things. He's created a massive following at this point. And so we're quite certain that there were several boats coming back. In fact, we joked it was like a little armada coming back across the Sea of Galilee to get back to Capernaum where the crowds were that he left in the first place. So as he's coming across the Sea of Galilee, coming back to Capernaum, word spreads fast. Jesus is coming back. You know, bring the sick, bring the, the people who are possessed, all these things. And so as Jesus hits the, the, the beach, the crowd is already there and it's massive. And so Jairus knew of Jesus and the woman that we're going to talk about today had the hemorrhage for 12 years, had heard about him as well. And they all knew he was coming back. So Jesus hits the shore. We're going to talk about two words today that start with P a lot. One is proximity and one is purpose, okay? What is the proximity? What is the purpose? What is the posture? There's lots of words that we're going to throw in here today. But as Jesus hits the shore, Jairus comes running down. Now Jairus, let's talk about Jairus real quick. Jairus was a leader of the synagogue, okay? That means he was held in high regard in this community. People looked up to him. He had high regard, high value. He was a leader. He was looked up to in Capernaum, all right? So Jairus, when he runs down to the beach to meet Jesus coming out of the boat, his proximity is close and his posture is he's down on his knees and he's bowing before Jesus. Now, let's think about Capernaum. It's a Jewish settlement. They don't like what Jesus is doing. These are the people that are gonna cause him to be crucified soon. And so Jairus is at the end of his rope. Jairus doesn't know what to do. His daughter is not sick. She's not ill. She doesn't have a fever. She's literally breathing her last breath. So you have to visually understand she's at death's door, okay? So Jairus was at the end of his rope. Sometimes our soil doesn't receive the seed of renewal until we are at the end of our rope. 
Now, a lot of people say, oh, you became a Christian. Yeah, your life was bad. It was chaotic. It was chaos, whatever the case may be. That's okay. Because sometimes all of us tend to be more receptive when we're at the end of our rope. So as I said, he was held in high regard. Jairus was the leader of the synagogue. He had um, favor in the community. But when he ran down to the beach and bowed before Jesus, what do you think all the other Jewish leaders thought of him? They thought he had turned. They thought, what has happened? What are you doing? But Jairus was at the end of his rope. So he comes and he falls at the feet of Jesus. Once again, he's facing this crisis. His daughter is at death's door. He thought, if I can just get to Jesus, he can heal my daughter. He will keep her alive. He will heal her of her afflictions, and she will be fine. The words that were used here, Jairus, the words were, my little girl is at the point of death. Very sick. Now, here's what we know. Jairus goes close to Jesus' proximity, gets on his knees, posture. Jesus says, okay, I'll go with you, Jairus. Take me to your house, and I will heal your little girl. So remember, as soon as he hit the shore, massive crowds. Okay, we're going to talk about crowds in just a minute. Jairus gets to him, asks him to come. Jesus says, yes. So now if you can picture, Jairus is probably pulling Jesus or moving the crowd because now they have to get from the beach to Jairus' house. Time is of the essence. His little girl is almost dead at this point. So he's excited. He, he, he's, he's at the end of his rope, but he's got a little glimpse of, of sunshine here because Jesus said he would do it. Now, what is so cool about the Gospel of Mark is there are at least six sandwiches, theologians. Now, this is a theologian term. Rob didn't make it up. It's called a Markin sandwich, where Mark will start this story, okay? And then he stops it right here, and he starts another story start to finish. Then he comes back and finishes the first story. So we're, as a reader, we're so excited. Jesus is back. He's in Capernaum. Jairus has a problem. Jesus says, I'll come help you. Jairus has to get him to the house. All of a sudden, that story stops. There's another story that takes place right now. The Bible tells us there was a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years. 12 years of an unceasing hemorrhage. So the way I want you to think about this, when this little girl hit puberty... She then had a 12-year hemorrhage. It has never stopped. It has never let up. In fact, it's gotten worse. If you go back to Leviticus, several weeks ago, I, t I gave you a sermon and we talked about lepers, okay? Lepers, worst, worst case, you're cast out of the city. It's a horrible place to be. This woman was almost that bad. Because she had an unceasing hemorrhage of 12 years, the law of Leviticus said, you, you must be isolated from society. No one can touch you. You can touch no one else. You're not allowed to go to the temple. You cannot worship with others. You cannot get married. You cannot get hugged. Nothing. You're literally completely isolated from society. So not only has, does she have physical harm of 12 years, but mental harm, spiritual harm, just isolation. Now we've talked about the leprosy. Now we're talking about her being isolated, literally alone for 12 years. She was considered unclean for as long as the hemorrhage would last. So we're on 12 years right now. No one was allowed to touch her. This woman was at the end of her rope. See the consistent theme we're going for here? She's at the end of her rope. She's done everything she can do. She has nowhere else to turn. It's not only physical, it's mental, it's spiritual. She had to find a way to get relief from the hemorrhage. Now, what you don't know yet is she's also destitute. 
She has spent every penny, every last dime on going from doctor to doctor to doctor. And the Bible says not only did the doctors not heal her, but they made it worse. Now I want you to think for a minute, this is 2022. Go back 2000 years. Think about medical practice 2000 years ago. The stuff that they were trying to do to fix her was just crazy. And today we would think, man, that's barbaric, that's crazy. But now take the year 2022 and fast forward 2000 years. What do you think those people are gonna think of medical practices 2000 years ago, right here today? That's the type of advancement that has taken place. We don't believe the doctors were trying to hurt her. They were doing the best with what they had at the time. Okay, so now that we know she's destitute, she is, in, in medical terms of the first century, she is incurable. They cannot, they cannot solve her problem. So this woman's at the end of her rope. She's now out of money, she's worse, she's been bleeding for 12 years, total isolation. So whatever her reasoning is, this woman said, I don't care, I'm at the end of my rope, this is my last chance, Jesus is my answer. So she had the faith. So she made her way through the crowd. Now, she shouldn't even have been there in public, in this crowd. She makes her way through this crowd, okay? She gets to where Jesus is. She comes up behind him. She is feeling so low and, and, and breaking so much Levitical law at this point. She says, if I just touch his clothing, I'm not gonna get in front of him. I'm not gonna stop him. I'm not gonna talk to him. I'm not even gonna touch him. I'm just gonna touch his cloak. She reaches out and touches his cloak. When she touched Jesus' clothes, instantly the hemorrhage stopped. She knew it. She could feel it. She felt in her body that she was immediately healed of that affliction. Remember the word affliction. We're going to come back to that. Now, you'll notice that when Jesus heals people, it's not this huge production. He just heals. He just does it. Could you imagine if he made a huge spectacle out of it and he went up to someone who couldn't hear and put his hands on their ears and says, be healed, you can hear. And then he walks away and turns around and says, can you hear me now? Jesus didn't do that kind of thing. He didn't create these productions and these spectacles. He just did what he needed to do. Mark tells us that Jesus knew immediately in himself that power had gone out. So he turned around in the crowd and he says, who touched my clothes? Now I wanna talk about crowd for a second. Think back right now in your life, the biggest crowd you've ever been in. Okay, I want you to think of a big crowd. For me, it's when, it's probably about 20 years ago, I have three little kids. They're 25, 24, and 22, but in my mind, they're still little, all right? So in Houston, we would go to Disney World. I know Disneyland's better, I'm a Californian now, I get that. But we would go there because it was closer, it was easier to get to. And so we would meet grandma there, we'd have a great time, and one night we went to a production, one of their late night shows. It seated 10,000 people. So during the day, when, when 10,000 people arrive, it's nice, they trickle in, it's easy to deal with, but when the show ends and the lights go off and everyone has to leave at one time, down one trail, out one gate, it gets a little difficult. And so my wife quickly assessed the situation. She says, okay, I've got Jesse and James, oldest and youngest. Rob, you've just got one. You just gotta watch one kid, okay? It was Cassie, my middle child. And so we're, we're working our way out through this crowd and I've got Cassie and I'm patting her on the shoulder and saying, daddy's got you patting her on the head, daddy loves you, it's all good, I've got you. And we're just moving. And it's crazy, people are pressing, it's dark, it's crowded, all these kind of things. So I thought, well, this is going well. So I wasn't paying close enough attention. And the, 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 the crowd on my right shifted back like one row. And I didn't know that. But I'm still reaching my hand out going, 
Daddy loves you. Daddy's got you. It's okay. It was some mom. I have no idea. I don't know who it was. Today I'd probably be in jail. I don't know. But I just, you know, but the, but the funnier part, there's another sermon that says she never said anything. She just let it go on. I don't know how long. I, there's a whole other story there. But finally when I figured it out, she's laughing. My daughter behind her is snickering. She's having so much fun. But that's the kind of crowd I want you to realize. Dark, crowded, crazy, just mayhem, chaos. That's the crowd we were in. Now, Jesus is 100% God, and he's 100% man. So his 100% God in authority said, power has left me. But his 100% man, when he spun around, he didn't know who, who, who it went out to. Who had so much faith that took that power? And so he spins around, and he says, who touched me? Now, the disciples, ironically here, you can literally read this off the scripture. They're like, are you kidding? What do you mean who touched you? There's a thousand people here. We don't have any idea. You can, you can sense the frustration as Mark is writing this. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. He stops. He stops the crowd. And he says, who touched me? Now, understand Jairus is trying to pull him to his house. And Jesus stops the entire crowd. And he's waiting. He says, who touched me? So the woman is trying to figure out what happened. Jesus says, I know somebody touched me because I felt power go out of me. The woman could have just run away. She could have said, it was me. But the Bible says she told him the whole truth. This is how Jesus works in our lives. He doesn't want just a quick in, a quick out. He wants connection. He wants community. He wants fellowship. He wants to know your story. He wants to get involved. So he stops this crowd. Remember, Jairus' daughter is dying. And he says, tell me, the tr tell me about your story. Tell me the truth. Now, I'm going to take some liberties here. Dale says, write this part in pencil, not pen. This is how we do this. She may have said, Jesus, I touched you. I'm unclean. I've just made you unclean according to the law because I touched you. I hope you'll forgive me, but I was desperate. I've had this for 12 years. I went to every doctor I knew. They took my money. They made me worse. I'm sorry, Jesus, but I knew that if I could touch you, I would finally be healed. She was at the end of a rope. She risked it all. Jesus, in his amazing way, looks at this woman, and the first thing out of his mouth is, daughter. She hasn't heard those words in at least 12 years, maybe longer. Out of the entire gospel of Mark, do you know how many times the word daughter is used? Once, right here. He immediately connects with her. He healed her, but now he's starting to work on her emotional side, her spiritual side, her mental side. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Watch what's happening in these two stories. Jairus is focused on his daughter. Jesus calls the woman daughter. It's the only time the word is used. The little girl died at 12 years. The woman has been dying for 12 years. So Jesus was the cause of her healing. What was the cause of her cure? It was faith. Christ is the cause of our justification, and it was Jesus and his power that healed the woman. Jesus is not done. Remember, Jairus, just let's go, Jesus, let's go. Jesus isn't done. He looks at the woman now and he says, go in peace and be healed of your affliction. There's that word again. This is the only place where that, that specific word is used here. 
That same word affliction is used when Jesus is scourged and he knows what's coming. Jesus shows empathy towards her knowing that what he would eventually go through. Now go in peace could be seen as a simple standard customary goodbye, but it means so much more to this woman who hasn't had a moment's peace in 12 years. That valediction now takes on a whole new meaning as Jesus speaks tenderly to her and he says, go now not in fear, not in trembling, not in misery, but go in peace. This was not only a physical healing, it was emotional, mental. She was free. God wants you to be free from your suffering today. So now we finish that story, start to finish. We're jumping back into the Jairus story right now. As soon as Jesus said, go in peace, while he was still speaking, people ran from Jairus' house and got to Jesus and Jairus and said, it's too late. She's dead. It's over. Why would you trouble the master anymore? At what point in your life do you say to yourself, why would I trouble God anymore? Everything that Jairus feared has come true. It happened right there. Why should he bother praying now? Look closely on the screen. There is no time when you should stop troubling the Lord because it is never any trouble for him to hear you cry and to wipe your tears away. So from an earthly perspective, it was too late. She was dead. It was over. He's still not anywhere near Jairus' house yet. Jairus still has to get him there. But Jesus being Jesus, assessed the situation, and he looked at Jairus immediately, and he says, don't listen to them. Don't fear. It's not too late if you just believe. The woman have faith. Does Jairus have faith? We're about to find that out. Don't give in to the terror. Don't give in to the things that they just said to you. Just believe. Jairus, you came to Jesus, you were on your knees, you asked him to do what you, what you wanted him to do, which was heal your daughter. Proximity, close, posture, bowing. Remember the woman at the end, bowing. Jesus then, watch what he does here. Jesus stops the crowd from following from this point on. The only ones he allowed to continue to Jairus' house was Peter, James, and John, and of course Jairus. It's his inner circle. He removed everybody that had no faith and he allowed the people in that had great faith. So he, he thins out the crowd now. He's like, okay, we just healed this woman. We changed her life. Everybody saw it. Everybody heard it. Now I'm going to go take care of Jairus. But I got to get rid of the doubters first. Only people with faith from this point on. So they're still going to Jairus' house. They're not there yet. They're heading that way. Now, meanwhile, back in our story, at Jairus' house, the little girl died. Okay, she died probably when, by the time Jairus got to the beach. She was dead. Now, Today, in modern world today, when we have memorial services, funeral services, they're very somber, they're very quiet. But back then, when someone passed, you had to have a flute player, a weeper, and a mourner. I'm not kidding. That was the law. That was the minimum you could have. Flute player, weeper, wailer, mourner. Okay. Jairus was very high society. So he was a leader. He had high regard in the community, leader of the synagogue. His house was full. If you remember back to the video, it was dark. There were people everywhere. They were moving around. They were playing musical instruments. They were weeping, wailing, and mourning. So by the time Jairus gets Jesus to the house, Peter, James, John, Jairus, Jesus, that's it. At that moment, Jesus thins the crowd again. He looks at all the commotion that's going on. He said, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? She's not dead. She's sleeping, 
which ironically is the same thing he said about Lazarus. Now watch this. This is rough. Verse 40. They laughed at him. The weepers, wailers, and mourners laughed at Jesus. I would not want to be in their shoes. So the professional mourners and criers, weepers and wailers, they turned their tears off instantly. They started giggling and making fun of Jesus. Oh, sure, she's just sleeping. Yeah, you'd know. We're professionals, but here's the deal. Oh, she's sleeping, that's all. Now, Dale and I had a real good meeting on this one, and he helped me understand that this could have been inauthentic wailing and weeping. You simply can't go from wailing in mournful agony to laughing in an instant. Jesus pierces through non-authenticity. There is power in truth, especially when you're at the end of your rope. So Jesus thins the, gets them all out of there, all the weepers and wailers and mourners and musical instrument players out of the house. So now it's Jesus, Peter, James, John, Jairus, Jairus' wife. That's six. Now the girl's dead. She's number seven. That's who's in the house. Jesus goes in. He takes the little girl by the hand. Now watch what happens here. This is the second time in just minutes that according to Old Testament ritual law, Jesus has been defiled. Touch of an unclean woman, touching a corpse. He takes her by the hand and just like Christ gives his power by the sound of his voice, just as God brought the whole world into creation by the sound of his voice, just as he brought Lazarus out of the tomb by command, he speaks to this little girl in her state of death. He holds her hand and he says to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl arise. All of her strength returns to her instantly. She gets up, she walks around the room. Jesus says to the parents, verse 43, he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. Why? We're back in Capernaum. It's a Jewish town. He just left Legion and said, go tell everyone. Gentile, side of the Sea of Galilee. But here he said, don't tell anyone because he's controlling the time clock. Water to wine, started the time clock. Now we're rolling. He's only got three years. Mark did an incredible job on these two stories, but he's not done. This is how he ends it. Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. Prepare her something to eat because she's hungry. That's how it ends. I mean, you just, you've got a resurrection, you've got a woman healed, you've got all these great things, and Mark ends it with, by the way, she's hungry. Feed her something to eat. Why? Why does he end it that way? Because he wants us to know that this was a human resurrection. It wasn't a spiritual resurrection. She's a normal little girl again. And that's why he wrote this. That's what he's telling us. This was a human resurrection. She's 12 years old, continues on with life. It's also why he did that with Lazarus. Also, after he was resurrected, he had breakfast with the disciples on the beach. It's a human form. So the power of the resurrection, the power over death, the power over lost causes, all these things converged in the touch of Jesus in the home of Jairus. This is the Lord in whom we place our trust for life and death forever. Both Jairus and the woman were at the end of their rope. Both risked it all. Both were saved by the power of Christ. I want to invite you to experience this same moment 
this same power of Christ in your life. And I'm gonna give you an invitation for a salvation prayer. A lot of you have already received Christ. That's great. Pray for those around you. Calvary Online, this is for you. Traditional service, everybody. If you want the kind of power, if you want the kind of love, if you want the kind of connection that Jairus got, that the woman got, pray this prayer with me silently. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for a great day. God, I admit that sometimes I sin and make bad choices. And I thank you for forgiving me every time I ask. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I choose to invite you into my heart and into my life, and I make you my Lord and Savior. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, Christ entered your heart and entered your life, and he will never leave you or forsake you, which means he won't forget about you. Now, if, you, if you're new to the, to the Christian world and if you prayed that prayer, we want to help you learn more about how to become a disciple, a follower of Christ, and how you can learn more about him to become a fully devoted follower of Christ. But this next session is for most of you that are already Christians. I need you, McKenna addressed this card earlier. I need you to pull that out. If you don't have one, it's in the seat back in front of you. So just reach forward. If there's not one in front of you, turn around and ask the person behind you, can you hand me a card, please? This is our social time. Just say hello to somebody. Grab a card. Okay. For those of you that are already Christians, this moment is for you. These studies, these classes, these courses that are listed on this card start tomorrow. I want to encourage you guys. You know, some of you, some of you need to take this step. You need to go on your journey with Jesus to learn more about him, to understand him, so that when you're out in the community and at your workplace, you can share his love. This is how you learn more. So real quick, let's go through this. Alpha, I'm teaching Alpha, Wednesday night, small chapel, right here. This is for new believers. Or if you have friends that you want to introduce Christ to you, bring them here. We eat for 30 minutes, we watch a 30-minute teaching, and we talk for 30 minutes. It's going to be a blast. I'm going to have a great time, so come on. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about, the prayer cohort. Look at that number two. I know most of you have done Bible studies. I know the church is 75 years old. You guys have done a lot. I know most of you have not done the prayer cohort. Let me share something real personal with you. I've been a pastor for 27 years. I took this course last year. My prayer life has changed. It has changed me. This is one of the greatest courses I've ever taken. I want you to sign up for that if you haven't taken it. We're going to have some elders out in the lobby afterwards that are going to man this table. Talk to them. Sign up right there. This course will change your life. Next one, overcoming shame. Look at this. Listen to this. Ten-week person group. Learn to overcome experience of shame in your life. Let me tell you a little bit about this. The executive director of the Christian Counseling Center, Tina Angel, is teaching this class. She has Cheryl Bowen as a guest lecturer as well. She's a senior lecturer. Come join this class. Understand how your identity is in Christ and how you can get through these moments of shame in your life and grow in Christ. We have men's Bible studies. We have women's Bible studies. We have BSF, Bible Study Fellowship, incredible courses. We have a mother of preschoolers program. That's a blast for young moms. And lastly, our young adult group, 18 to 25-ish. We are running all these programs. If you're not signed up for one of them, sign up for one of them, okay? If you've done most all of these before, sign up for the prayer cohort. It will change your life. Hold that card. We're gonna slide into our response time now.
And we're going to take about 30 seconds, hold this card, close your eyes, see where God leads you. God, our prayer is that you would put into our hearts and into our minds where we need to go and where we need to sign up to learn more about you. Speak to us clearly. Let us know what it is you want us to sign up for.